Building on interviews with more than 60 guests from more than 40 countries, welcome to Season 4 of The J Word, a podcast by Journalists in Practice. Here we connect practice and theory through discussions of technology, news practices, and cultural and social issues. We also make the articles discussed in these episodes free access for a short time. I'm your host, Ted Gucci, an associate editor at Journalists in Practice, associate professor in media and cultural studies at Lancaster University in the UK, and visiting professor at Vitotis Magnus University in Lithuania. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's get started. No, sorry for the clickbait. News beats aren't dead, but they do look different in today's digital world. Just who's covering what? Do assigned beats matter? What's the tension between journalistic specialization and the general assignment beat? This episode features two guests from a recent journalism practice special issue, The State of the Newsbeat, to try to answer some of those questions. V. Reich, professor in the Department of Communication Studies at the Ben-Gurion University of the Negev in Israel, is here as one of the issue's editors, as is Richard Jones, subject leader for the area of media, journalism, and film at the University of Huddersfield in the UK. He talks about his article, It's the Best Job on the Paper, where he investigates the state of court reporting in the UK. Thanks both for being here. Zvi, maybe we could just get started. What did you find so interesting about Newsbeats? Newsbeats are fields or uh, geographical territories uh, which journalists are assigned to cover on a regular basis. And um, I I was curious to to explore this this issue because I looked at the calendar and I saw that uh, in 12 years, we are going to celebrate the 200th year anniversary of Newsbeats. Um, so uh, in uh, 1833, uh, the first known reporter, George Wisner, was assigned by Benjamin Day uh, from the New York Sun to, uh, to cover the first known beat, uh, which was crime report, by the way. And, um, you know, a phenomenon that is going, that is closing its 200th anniversary uh, and it's still with us. And I think that uh, professionals, professionals who, who, who study journalism, who work in journalism, know that the power of beat is very, very strong. Beats are shaping uh, news to a large extent. So the combination between the, this anniversary and uh, the uh, might, the, the power, the, the influence of beats uh, made me think that we should re- reevaluate where are we now and where are we heading? What did they do before there was the actual news beat? I think, you know, before that, uh, news were more political, more more uh, opinion-based. Uh, and uh, um, around the, the 1830s, um, we start to see the modern commercial press that is based on uh, facts, on things that happened in the world and less on opinion, and uh, this uh, needed uh, a new principle of division of labor, and, and, and it starts emerging then. There are some problems with beats sometimes too, aren't there? In the sense that it becomes a specialized knowledge area where the people who've been working in a politics beat or a business beat or uh, entertainment beat, while they're getting a lot of wealth of information, they kind of have uh, a narrow view, but also some power differentials. Is that something that a reader of the special issue would be able to cull from the different articles? Uh, And and what do we think about power in beats? Uh, Sure. I I, I think that journalism today, uh, we should think about journalism today in terms of news beats 
as an archipelago, archipelago of different islands that are is to some extent isolated, surrounded by 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 water. So so uh, and, and they represent different. Uh, 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 microcultures or sub-universes of journalism with, you know, where, where people go and meet sources, where they make friends and enemies, uh, where they uh, um, uh, obey to particular rules of game that, that are established between them and their sources. So I think there is, uh, on the one hand, uh, you can look at it as, a, as a one united archipelago, but on the other hand, you, you see how different are these uh, islands. And they are ruled by, they are governed by, 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 different, by different rules. Uh, because, you know, for example, in politics, where you are, uh, where reporters are searching for mostly for negative information, then it's more problematic to cooperate with sources. Whereas in uh, tourism, uh, I'm not sure that we are allowed to talk about tourism in the middle of the uh, coronavirus. Um, uh, but but uh, um, I think that that there are uh, areas that where journalists are, are are looking for less negative information, so their work is more easy. So I, it's the character of the information and uh, the extent to which uh, the beat is centralized in the hands of few powerful sources. This is what, oh, they are diversified and fragmented and you have many sources that can supply the information. So no one has a monopolistic access to information. So these uh, uh, subtleties um, um, shape uh, these different islands of the, of the archipelago. If we went to, to Richard's paper, let's pull it apart a bit and see what's in there. This is about court reporting. And I remember one of the first newspaper gigs I had was the newspaper was put right across the street from the courthouse. So what we've learned from architecture and placemaking of news is that journalists are positioned and well, historically anyway, have been positioned in centers of power and access to information. And I always just remembered how when they decided to get rid of the court reporter, as uh, the economy was always changing, and it would turn it more into a general uh, coverage or general beat or incorporate courts into daily journalism in other ways, I thought, well, what a silly... What a silly way to get rid of, you know, free access to or really easy access to daily stories and information. So I've always been fascinated by court reporting as something that's so accessible. What did you think about that particular beat? And maybe you can start by telling us why you decided to look at this type of beat first before unpacking kind of what you found. Yeah, well, this was my part of my origins of deciding to look at this comes from my own career as a journalist. And one thing I did towards the end of that time about 10 years ago was start my own hyperlocal website. And it became clear to me from doing that, that uh, while um, a lot of the kind of traditional output of local newspapers in some ways was being replicated by whether that was you know, hyperlocal editors or just other people posting things to Facebook or whatever, and by that, I mean things like very local football results or what was going on at the church fair and all those kind of local events. It became clear to me that it was going to be very, very difficult or impossible for anyone to kind of any of these kind of what you might call amateurs or, 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 or you know, new new players in the market to actually cover the courts because you needed. I, I could sort of do that. I had some media law training. I'd been a journalist. I sort of knew how to navigate the courts. But it's a bit of a, you know, although they are open, it's a bit of a closed shop, a bit of a closed society to outside or newcomers. 
And so that sort of interested me when I started this project was to examine the extent to which, um, you know, we have this perception that local newspapers are in decline. And also in the, the UK, we have the, the, the further kind of reality that the local criminal justice system has been in decline um, in terms of resources. So I wanted to assess the extent to which, assuming that no new players are coming into the market, that was one of my assumptions, how is this kind of classic function of journalism still being practiced? Um, and I wanted to kind of get to the bottom of that. And so you did some interviews with um, more than 20 journalists that, that some of this is based on. What did you find? Well, I found that um, the kind of we are increasingly reliant on those local newspapers, despite the kind of financial crisis that has affected the kind of classic local print world, we have actually become more reliant on them to cover the courts than ever before, because um, there's been a significant decline, almost a withering away of any other kind of court coverage. So local press agencies, there are far fewer of them than they used to be. Freelancers haven't really picked up the, the slack in a way that you might have expected in a more kind of networked model of journalism that hasn't really evolved in court reporting. Um, and you know, our broadcast institutions in the UK don't typically cover the daily run of court reporting and often don't come very much. So I found that while local daily newspapers have often retained a court reporter, they've retained that beat, even as other beats on the local news world have, have declined or been absorbed into general beats. Typically, the local daily papers anyway still have a court reporter, um, but really that is now the only individual regularly covering a, a local courthouse or even a, a courthouse in a major city. And many of the reporters said to me, look, I go days, weeks, sometimes even months without seeing any other reporters at all, not just in the room with me, but just in the whole building. So we're more reliant on these kind of, I guess what you would describe as, you know, um, uh, big legacy institutions that have been, you know, battered by the winds of, you know, the crisis that we all know about. We can imagine what the implications are for civicness and um, some might say democracy, but what are the implications for journalistic practice that that you're seeing and how this particular news beat maybe is in flux or facing flux? Well, I think that the journalists involved in this kind of court reporting have been very flexible and adapted their news work accordingly. So um, whether that's live blogging, live tweeting from within courtrooms has become routine. Um, what we call snatch photography, which is when uh, journalists also have to take on the role of photographer sneaking out of a courtroom, you know, to go onto the public street because photography is not allowed um, in courtrooms in uh, the UK. Um, and taking a photograph of a, of a defendant that they want to write about when they've actually left the court building and are out on the street. That in the past would have been done by a photographer, a staff photographer at a newspaper. But as we know, a local daily paper might only have one photographer left and they're unlikely to be outside the court unless it's a really big story. So that is another role that has fallen to journalists. And in fact, it's become more important because of the importance of producing um, you know, pictorial or, or video content um, you know, for the shareability of, of stories online. So that's another kind of task, if you like, that's been added to the the list that, that, that journalists have to kind of master. Um, uh, what I've also found, though, is that there is very little interest from the justice system in really making things any easier for journalists to do their jobs. You know, we, I think people in, as you kind of imply there, people in the judiciary, people in politics, people in academia, maybe, and others and the media too, we talk a, a pretty good game about how open justice and about how journalism is essential to that and about how journalists are inevitably the eyes and ears of the public at, at court because there's really nobody else there to do it for us. Um, but 
there were lots of lots of sort of historical and legacy obstacles in place to journalists doing their jobs, ranging from what I mentioned, that kind of traditional restrictions on creating media content within a courtroom, right down to um, just the lack of facilities for journalists within court courtrooms, you know, no special room for them to work in, not even a, a seat in the courtroom sometimes. So all of that taken together means that while the, the journalists are, are being doing well to be flexible, they're not getting much help from I suppose that the broader criminal justice world to help make their lives easier. And my concern is that court reporting, yes, it's been preserved up to this point largely, but it's become a much more precarious, much more marginal occupation for journalists. And I'm concerned that newspapers may not continue to invest in it in the future unless that situation is addressed. Zvia, we'll be going um, to a, a separately recorded uh, conversation with our last uh, author here in, in a few minutes. But um, can you talk to us about uh, some of the the broad the, the the broader aspects of news beats that you found uh, really salient in this special issue? Uh, and we were talking before we started recording, in fact, how it's difficult to have that kind of broad conversation, in fact, because of the uh, different social and cultural influences of the various parts of the world and how journalism works. But um, can you set a scene for us a, a bit about how we can leave this conversation in a bit thinking differently about the importance of news beats? Uh, first of all, I want to continue what Richard had said and, and mention that uh, there is a, a, a trend of change because uh, in the first uh, generation of beats, they were more institutional, more journalists were assigned to cover government uh, ministries and government agencies and different institutions and, and also to cover uh, uh, cities and, and regions. Uh, and, and gradually you see a shift uh, from, uh, from institutions to topics. Uh, so, so they are covering um, today uh, things like climate change or business and, and so on. So there is a shift from institution to topics. And also uh, we see a shrinking of, of the regional or, or the, the local or geographic beats uh, that uh, today you have fewer journalists that are covering uh, larger and larger terrains. I think that one of the most important uh, questions that beats are raising is the question of specialism, of, uh, of, of expertise. To what extent these people are becoming uh, uh, journalists who know what they are talking about, who understand the subject matter. And obviously, the terrain that they are covering is always too large, always too diverse and always challenging. So beat reporters might be the real experts in journalism and still the, the terrains that they are covering are too diverse and, 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 and highly challenging. Just you know, think about a health reporter uh, that covers the, the entire health system uh, single-handedly. So if uh, this uh, a, a guy or this lady were covering, uh, I would say, a dozen disciplines during the 1960s, Today, they are covering dozens and dozens of, 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 of subspecialties in, in health. So the chance to become an, an expert on all these uh, beats, uh, all, all these uh, sub-areas are, are very, very grim. Uh, and, and yet, I think that the challenge of knowledge is, uh, is the main challenge. And uh, I think that um, today we have uh, uh, the trends in in the in, in the in the global uh, uh, labor markets are the, the main trends are 
uh, have been uh, pushing too much toward uh, toward hyper specialism, and uh, there is a uh, a growing disdain. I would say many many times not, not justified disdain toward uh, toward the generalists like journalists who cover uh, such uh, diverse and and challenging terrains. Uh, and um, only recently we can see a new trend that uh, uh, that rediscovers generalism and and polymathy uh, 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 only recently you can see this discussion inside universities and and outside the universities in uh, the field of uh, of uh, expertise there is uh, now a, a, a concern that probably we went too far uh, with uh, with specialism with 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 hyper specialization and and we need a correction uh, that uh, appreciates uh, generalists like journalists who cover such um, uh, diverse and challenging terrains. We were talking before we started recording about some of the next steps that you're going to take in your own research about newsbeats. Can can you? T- tell us a little bit about what you're looking at next. Well, we, we are managing now. I'm, I'm managing now a, a large-scale study with uh, three uh, PhD students and two MA students and one postdoctoral students, and we are trying to explore expertise. What actually do these people know? Because I'm fascinated by by, by the epistemic uh, aspect of uh, of uh, news beats. And currently, we are studying uh, uh, political reporters, financial reporters, and military reporters because it's a very prominent beat in in the, uh, in the Israeli case. And we are trying to to understand what do they know, uh, how is the knowledge structured. And um, this is one aspect of, of our study. Another aspect of the study is uh, what should they know? What, uh, what, what are they expected to know, especially by, by, uh, by journalists, but compared to experts? Can, can we reach a consensus regarding the desired knowledge? of reporters in particular beats. Because I think that uh, the, the traditional uh, argument between uh, between scholars and journalists uh, is that scholars blame the journalists that their knowledge is shallow, they don't know enough, they don't know what they are talking about. And, uh, and the journalists protect themselves, say, don't expect us to be academics. We are just journalists. Uh, but uh, the, the argument stops there without elaborating what is the expected knowledge. And we are trying to map uh, the desired knowledge in these uh, three bits in 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 in, uh, in uh, uh, finance, politics, and and military as as examples. But we are also trying to study sports reporters and technology reporters in order to understand their expertise. Richard, one of the things that I found really interesting in your paper was about freelancers. Having done a lot of freelance work myself and hearing Zvi talking about knowledge and expertise, sometimes the freelancer is in fact uh, more knowledgeable about a neighborhood or an area of a, of a business sector or has contacts that are more diverse or different than story journalists. What are you thinking about freelancers now after doing this? Well, I sort of discovered that um, the days of 
freelancers regularly covering the courts and being able to sell stories into local papers or national papers or whatever are almost over in the UK. Not entirely. There are examples in different places where a local freelancer still does this kind of work, perhaps coordinated with the local newspaper to avoid a kind of duplication of effort. But um, you, apart from the odd example where someone has been made redundant late in their career and has just essentially kept doing the job just on a freelance basis and, and, and you're making the odd story available, Apart from that, um, there is really little evidence of freelancing going on in uh, local courtrooms in, in the UK. And that, that's a change because reporters said, look, when I started this job 10, 15, 20 years ago, there'd be me, there'd be someone from our sister paper would be there, there'd be someone from this agency, that agency, we'd sometimes get the local broadcasters down and a freelance, you know, not even just for the big stories, but you know, day to day, we might have a, a group of journalists would be there every day. And now it's just me. I mean, a, a freelancer might come down and hedge their bets once in a while, if they've heard there's a big story, they might have a contact, they might think, oh, I can sell this into a, a national paper. But the kind of budget in the local press for this kind of paying for this, you know, 50 quid here or there for a story has gone. And so, you know, we might have expected, you know, as we think about flexibility in journalism and, and all this sort of thing, we, we might have expected that that would have um, led to more freelancing. But in fact, in the case of courts, there's less. And I think that is simply a function of once someone is not going every day, they don't have the... Um, you know, they lose some of that kind of the, the local contacts and, and really the expertise and contacts that the daily court reporters still have allows them to cover over some of the cracks by perhaps staying across several different courtrooms, even different court buildings, um, and even perhaps incorporating the crime and police beat into their work, you know, maybe sort of in a sense they're covering two or three beats at the same time, but they're able to do it up to a point because of their experience. And once someone is out of that daily grind, I think that, that, that it becomes too too unattractive an existence for them, really, to even attempt it. And what are you doing with the next step? Well, this was my PhD project, actually, which I recently finished because um, I have um, was a former journalist and have become an academic. Although my main job is, is sort of, as I indicated, is sort of managing an academic kind of department. So my main job is organizing that. And I'm afraid research is very much shunted to the sidelines a little bit for me at the moment at my stage in my career. But I would like to turn this into a book about uh, court reporting, um, you know, turn my PhD, and of which this was an element of it, into that. And beyond that, what I'm really interested in for my sort of next project is looking at what happens to news in a location when um, when the local when the local newspaper finally disappears how does news and information flow around that place when we lose that local newspaper i think one of the things about my research that's indicated is that yes local press in the uk has been very much hollowed out but it still does retain in many ways the the the, the ability to to cover some of these kind of what we call the normative functions of journalism it still has that ability um what I'm interested, though, and, and we're sort of several years in a way behind the US in this, and that somewhere like the US, where many, many local papers have closed, we haven't quite seen that in the same way in the UK yet, despite predictions. You know, I've got some locations in mind, though, where I want to examine where that has happened and to, to get a handle on, you know, if there really isn't anyone uh, going to the court, if there is no local newspaper anymore, whether that's the court or other things, how is information about that being disseminated around, um, you know, what you might call the news ecology? So I want to do a big, a big deep dive on a, on a location near me and, uh, and just see what's going on. Well, that sounds really great. And thanks both of you for joining me today to talk about the special issue, some of the articles which have appeared in previous episodes. But thanks so much for putting this into some context for us. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. My pleasure. 
And thank you all for listening to this episode of The J Word. We hope you check back and listen to more and check out ones from previous seasons. All articles discussed during this episode can be found by searching online for journalism practice. And you can follow and connect with us on Twitter at Practice or send any feedback about this podcast to jwordpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, take care.